Let's go in-depth on Iowa State with the Des Moines Register. It's time, it's time for Cyclone Insider on 1460 KXNO. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Insider Radio Hour from the Des Moines Register here on 106.3 FM and 1460 KXNO. I appreciate you tuning in. I hope with the news I'm about to break to you, you don't immediately turn the dial, stop the podcast, you know, just stop your car and shut shut everything down. But instead of Randy Peterson, who's off today, I am joined, uh, unfortunately, I guess, fortunately, which way you want to look at it, by the Des Moines Register's Tommy Birch. Tommy, welcome! I am here to save the show. That's what you bring from me in what? for. Save, save the show from <laughs> what? Oh, I, I don't want to say. I don't <laughs> yeah, think I can say. That, that's probably for fe- the best. I feel bad that, uh, you know, I'm having to come in and save the day again. I mean, this is... It's what you bring me in for is the ratings boost. Yeah, I mean, it's really like I got 45 minutes to fill, and <laughs> I know people want to hear me talk for 45 minutes straight, but you know, Dude, it's a diminishing you it? returns there. Could you do it? Just 45 minutes on your own? I've done Buster? it. Thank you for listening to the uh, Cyclone Slant podcast that I've done for like five years. I've been on that. Yeah, I, I usually I need a prompt, like I'll take questions, but I think I've done 40 minutes just talking into a microphone. Jeez. I don't know that it's good, but okay, it, it feels I guarantee you it's not. I haven't listened to <laughs> I, I it. Mean, I mean, of the 45 minutes, if I get like a solid, like informative, entertaining five, I feel like I'm doing all right. Yeah, man, that's rough. So once again, you need me. Just say it. You need me here. Uh, it's, it's Randy that. did. How, how long did Randy do without you? It's, I mean, again, it's not easy. It's not easy. I, I guess. Do you have a review of Randy's solo shows? I thought it was it was entertaining. Like I I got in my car and just drove around so I could keep listening. Do you not have li- a phone or a radio? Well, I was listening on the iPad app, but I didn't want to just sit, you know, in my house. I I, I wanted to. You didn't want to subject your family to Randy <laughs> yeah, 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 speaking yeah, for yeah. forty five minutes straight. Uh, they they get enough of that from the phone calls. Yeah, the <laughs> speakerphone. Yeah. Well, in Iowa State news, the only thing really going on, Randy and I addressed in a uh, podcast right after the news broke, uh, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts, about A.J. Green deciding to stay in the NBA draft, not return to college, and not potentially join Iowa State, where his father, Kyle, is an assistant coach. Uh, Kyle, who coached A.J. for three years at UNI before being hired on to T.J. Altsoberger's staff. And you know the way Randy and I talked about it, I think there's two ways – that you have to look at this simultaneously. One, AJ Green gets to make whatever decision he wants, and it sounds like he is agonizingly close to getting a sh- real, legitimate opportunity to play in the NBA. And I think when you've been striving for that for what I presume would be 15, 18 years out of uh, 22 years on this planet for AJ Green, if you're that close, you bet on yourself and you go get it and you, you try to make the most of it. Simultaneously, it's a major blow for Iowa State to lose out, not only to lose out on A.J. Green, but now there's just a hole in your roster where like 15 to 20 points needs to go because like before before any of this, we knew Iowa State was going to be challenged offensively or we presume Iowa State's going to be challenged offensively. And now the opportunity cost of not adding a guy who, you know, frankly, going back to March, a lot of people in and around that program thought was incredibly likely that AJ Green was going to join the program. Going, I've said this before. Going back to July, I was hearing it from people around the valley that that 
that was the betting favorite that AJ would finish out his career, quote unquote, uh, with his recruiting class at UNI and then likely join his dad at Iowa State. When that doesn't happen and your roster so glaringly could use a player with the exact skill set of AJ Green as a shooter, a scorer, and a playmaker and experience, it stings. And now Iowa State's kind of got to figure it out with the 12 guys that they've got. And I think the offense will be a work in progress all season long. And, you know, as we saw last year, that can be really ugly. That can be really painful. But it can also be, it is also not preclude you from winning a lot of basketball games. See, this is the point where I'm really glad you had me on. This, this is why you brought me on for a good, a good chance to, uh, chance to rant and rave. You know what's funny is like when AJ Green announced this, I went on her Cyclone Insider Facebook page, and the comments under it were just absolutely astounding. For and this kind of goes off both those points that you made. One, um, it's AJ Green's decision; it's his life; it's his choice. Nobody else can can make that for him. And then two, Iowa State had felt like it was in the running for a long, long time. So you have this fan base of Iowa State fans. They're so pissed off that thought they were almost entitled to A.J. Green, that he was coming. They'd gotten their hopes up um, so much. They was going to come in, fill his void, and be this huge contributor this season that I get the impression it kind of feels like a guy, even though he had not committed, he had not said, hey, I'm coming to Iowa State if I don't enter the NBA draft. It felt like a group of fans that felt like, okay, this is a guy that committed to Iowa State and then on signing day, you know, switched directions. This is where I'm actually going to go. Yeah, I mean, I think... I mean, obviously, A.J. Green doesn't owe Iowa State a damn thing. You know, he doesn't owe anything. He, he's never spent either. a day as a student athlete at Iowa State. I mean, obviously, having his dad there makes it a family decision. I don't know, not a family decision, but there's a family dynamic in the decision. But again, like if you, if your ultimate goal, I think the ultimate goal for A.J., if he came to Iowa State, was to use that as a platform. I mean, obviously, come win games and, you know, get better but help dad a little yeah but ultimately get to the nba and the thing too is and you've covered this enough and i've covered it a little bit where you know you read so many different things about like okay this where draft projections go and stuff like that this is where a guy is pegged and stuff like that all it takes is one team to really tell you like okay this what we envision for you this is what we might do for you this is where you could land if if you end up going, um, keeping your name in the NBA draft, you know, right now. And at the very least, despite anything that at least I may not know, maybe you know more. At I, the I very promise least, you I know more. It doesn't matter what the topic is, but I promise you I <laughs> About know <more>. this specific <laughs> topic, AJ Green at least got some type of feedback that gave him enough confidence to enter in his keep his name entered right now, and that was the best decision moving forward. That he has more information than we do, the fans do, anybody else. And like you had said, the ultimate goal is to play in the NBA. This is your opportunity right now. I talk about it all the time when it comes to um when it comes to baseball and the baseball draft, what we have coming on right now. Um, Don't try to plug your baseball draft coverage on the show. <laughs> baseball coverage at uh, Des Moines Register.com. Now, the thing is, you know, it's like, man, if you have an opportunity to go in baseball, now baseball and basketball are totally different beasts, but you have an opportunity to go 
those teams, their job is to get the very best out of you and get you to the NBA and get you to play at your full potential. When you have that opportunity, you go. Who knows what a year from now could look like for AJ Green for a guy who already lost a year to to injury. So, I mean, like that's a, a part there too. I mean, the thing, like again, if you're coming to Iowa State, the idea is okay. I'm going to play with better teammates against better competition on a bigger stage to ultimately get to where like a second, like AJ Green is probably never a first round draft pick, right? Like that seems quite unlikely. So your ceiling is a second round pick. And if you're going through these workouts, and I think what really started to tilt the decision away from returning to college is that AJ Green got workout callbacks. So clearly teams were intrigued by him enough to want a second look. And usually that's an indication that even if you don't get drafted in the second round, which I think right now, I don't know, I would not bet that AJ Green gets drafted, but we'll see. That if, but if you're within the range of that, again, you just, I think it makes sense when you're 22 years old to just go bet on yourself. Like, and like the worst case scenario, like assuming health is you land on a summer league team, it doesn't work out, and you go make six figures overseas with still a path available to you the NBA. I mean, we saw it with Matt Thomas, who frankly shares a lot of skill sets with AJ Green at a 6'4 shooter. I think AJ has more playmaking skills, but you know, we haven't seen it beyond the Missouri Valley level. But you know, Matt Thomas spent two, three years in Spain before getting his shot in the NBA and now is, I think, in year three or four of being got a big payday of making money and like being on again, I'd have to go back and look, but like he's on the precipice of getting his NBA pension you know, for the foreseeable future. So again, like when you're that close, I think it'd be really hard as a 22 year old who is supremely confident, who has really only known personal success in basketball to take a step back and say, I'm not ready yet. When you're that close, I just, again, I think you like when you're that close and you have the confidence and talent that you need to be successful at the level AJ green has been on the basketball court in his life. Like, how are you not going to say, of course I can do this? Of like, of course, whatever doubts there are or whatever the odds are, I'm going to overcome them. I'm going to make that NBA roster. I'm going to get that two, I'm going to get that two way deal. That's half a million dollars. And I'm going to just be so good on that two way deal that I'm going to get my next contract in the NBA. And then I'm, you know, set up for the foreseeable future. And then that second contract, my grandkids are set up for the foreseeable future. I mean, that's not hard to, to play that out, I think, if you're AJ Green, even if. You, me, you know, whoever in the Facebook comments thinks like, man, that's going to be a, a high hill to climb. Yeah, and it may be a little bit of a hill. I mean, I think for everybody, a lot of fans look at like the idea, okay, first, second round draft pick. After that, like, why are you going? Why do you waste the time and bolt right now? But it's like you had said, there is a clear path there that maybe takes a little bit of time. But you might as well get going on that journey right now because realistically, you know, yeah, there are reasons to come back to college, potentially improve your draft stock, but realistically, how much more is he going to do that? Obviously, playing on a bigger have. stage yeah. in the Big 12, winning at a Big 12 school, um, maybe another year of showing, hey, I'm fully healthy and I can do all this, but I think it was could have the been draft an, stock going to improve that dramatically? I think it could have been an impactful year for him. I really do. But that doesn't mean... I mean, we're still talking about potentially this guy being a non-drafted guy to maybe next year being a second round yeah, guy. Yeah, but I mean, that, then a team has a legitimate 
vested interest in your success. Like that sure. front office that spends like look at second round draft picks. We just had back to back MVP in Nik- Nikola Jokic. That was a second round draft pick. We've got maybe the one of the the second or third fourth best player in the NBA Finals right now. And Draymond Green was a second round draft pick. Like teams value those picks. They value the players they take with those picks. So I I don't want to like those are non guaranteed deals. So they're not perfect. But teams care about those picks and they care about the guys that they select. So I think that's meaningful, but you have to, and I think AJ, a year in the Big 12, a year playing at Iowa State could have been impactful to his draft stock, but you also have to weigh that. Again, it's not like if he plays in the G League next year, you're just in a hole and no one can see you. Like That can do the same thing for you, that you can still raise your, not draft stock, but your professional stock within the league. So you have to weigh those things. It's not one or the other. There's a lot of variables at play here, and I think you know for the... The, the typical college basketball fan, and this is not a slight. I think like a lot of a lot of this stuff is opaque. A lot of this stuff is not visible to the average fan. But like, there's just a lot of opportunities and pathways to success. And again, like a lot of these guys, they're team players. They want to win. They want their teams to win. They want to be successful as a group. But again, like their ultimate individual goals are to get to the NBA. And you look at the money that the NBA is paying. It's players like you're talking generational money if you just stick around and are the 12th guy on the roster for five years. Well, and how much is that a recruiting tool for every college coach saying like, okay, uh, there are three things I want to promise you, obviously playing time now NIL, but also the ability to get you to the NBA. Well, now you've got that opportunity. Why do you, you know, why do you go back to school then if you've already got that path? So it's going to be interesting to see because, like I said before, he obviously got some feedback that made him feel confident about the process of where it can go and what he can still do and what's lined up for him. You're listening to the Cyclone Insider Radio Hour from the Des Moines Register here on 106.3 FM and 1460 KX. And now we've talked about this, I think, largely from AJ Green's perspective, but I think, you know, as we said, there, there's two thoughts or two uh, circumstances here that you can hold simultaneously in your mind, and that's now the fact for Iowa State. I don't know where they go from here in terms of filling out the roster or, more importantly, filling out their offense. You know, it's relatively new news. Last I had heard before the news, like it seemed likely that Iowa State, excuse me, would stand pat at 12 players and not add a 13th. You know, we saw the kid from Missouri State land at Missouri yesterday, so that was probably the highest profile guard and score now off the board. If Iowa State does not add anybody, there is a chance. I'm not going to say likelihood. I don't even know what the chance is, but the chance is non-zero that the offense struggles more than last year. Oh, fun! And that was that. That is a hell of a statement. Talking about, <laughs> I think the 171st ranked offense in the country last year, an offense that routinely struck struggled to crack 50 points, and an offense that once failed to crack 40 points at home in a Big 12 game. Again, like we said earlier, just because your offense is um, inefficient, let's say generously, does not mean that your win total is... is, I'm a kinder, gentler Heinz as I get older. should Uh, talk about yourself in the third person more. Yeah, I really should. People love that, don't they? Very very humbling (laughs) and endearing to people. Um, Just because your offense is inefficient does not mean you can't win basketball games. But it does make it a hell of a lot harder. And I, it look, makes it really boring, too. <laughs> not even boring. I mean, 
there are some games where it was just like painful to watch that offense operate. And, you know, we'll see. I think this team maybe has a little bit more versatility and that this last year's team didn't even. I mean, you look at last year, like, is there another Isaiah Brockington on this roster? Maybe. I didn't know Isaiah Brockington was going to be <laughs> Isaiah Brockington going into last year. So you can't preclude, you can't say that that opportunity does not exist. But on paper, you look at it and it's like this, this is a less talented offensive team than last year. I think they'll have some other opportunities. Oshun Osunini offers some interesting opportunities to play inside out with his size and length and athleticism that maybe you can invert things a little bit. But I said this after I wrote the the roster breakdown piece following A.J. Green's decision. I don't know, again, I don't know if it's likely. I don't know what the odds are, but I know they're non-zero, that Iowa State could start or routinely have four players that either shot less than 30% from three last year or do not shoot threes at all. That is usually not a path to scoring a lot of points in 2022. Well, and here would be my worry, too, is if that defensive identity is going to be um, your your identity of a, of a team this year. It's now something that the teams have full season of seeing, too. You know, Especially during the non-conference season, I think it took so many pe- people by surprise. I think it really caught people off guard that this is the way Iowa State was playing. This is how they're going to do things. They they hadn't seen it. It was a totally different brand of basketball that most teams hadn't seen and certainly not something we had seen from Iowa State teams for a long time. And let's be honest, like during the non-conference season, that's where Iowa State, you know, got its NCAA tournament bid. Yeah, I mean, I'm less concerned about that because I think where teams caught up to them, or not necessarily caught up, but just absolutely definitely in the Big 12, yeah, where where they threw on the parking brake was on offense. Is that yeah. the more film they got, the more reps they saw of Iowa State's offense, the easier it became to stop. You know, the defense I think slid at times last year, but I don't think that was necessarily teams getting film on them. I think it was probably more likely fatigue or the ability to maintain that level of elite defense over 18 games in the Big 12 season. But I think what absolutely happened is that whatever success they had offensively early became incredibly easier to stop or slow down as the year went on because Iowa State was so limited in not only its offensive skill level, frankly, but in their versatility. There was only so many different ways they could play, and like that number fits on one hand. And again, that's probably being generous. Where I look at this year's team, like can they have a little bit more versatility in the way they play? Can they be a better passing team than last year's team? We'll see. I mean, like part of the problem too is like you don't know what to expect out of the point guard position with Jeremiah Williams, another guy who did not shoot 30% from three last year. Um, So like we'll see. There's just a lot of unknowns, but – I think if you want to be optimistic offensively as an Iowa State fan, I think versatility maybe is the the hook you hang your hat on, but that's going <laughs> to remain to be seen. But I think like you need to gird yourself for another year of uh, less than thrilling and uh, high-level offensive basketball at Hilton Coliseum. Well, and how terrifying is that, too, that you're – also hanging your hat on the possibility of somebody emerging like an Isaiah Brockington, you know? Yeah, I mean, like... Even half of what he was. And to think that you're going to strike lightning lightning twice, like, man, what a story that was and what a surprise that was and just, you know, how improbable probable was that? Like, what are the odds that you're going to do that again this year? And the odds that you do it again, like, man, if if you don't have that, like how different of a team is this going to be 
for Iowa State because without Isaiah Brackington last season, like, holy moly, that's a completely different team. Yeah, I to, mean, to expect that you're going to have that again or to even just vaguely hope that it happens is kind of a terrifying aspect, I would think. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, obviously that's something you probably can't predict because it was unpredictable to begin with. Um, and I guess the one thing, like the wild card to me or the unknown that is probably that I'm probably not writing enough about or talking about enough about are the freshmen. You know, can one of those guys be a difference maker? You know, offensively, that's asking a lot of a freshman. Like Tyrese Hunter had a really nice year for a freshman, still had a very mediocre assisted turnover ratio, had shot 23% from three or 27% from three. Like it's really hard on that end as a true freshman. And Especially when you're a big player, too. Like you're physically, like a guy like Taman Lipsy, like. Yeah, so I mean, we'll see, but I think like I think those guys are probably more talented and more Big Twelve ready than we're probably talking about. At least Lipsy and Eli King. I think Demarion Watson. Everyone thinks has the highest potential, the most likely NBA potential, but that he's maybe further away from his ceiling than those other two. But we'll see. I mean, obviously, it's are they Tyrese Hunter type ready? No, when they got, no. Yeah. I mean, these are not top fifty, yeah. top fifty players. But like again, they're not going to be asked to probably do the same things as Tyrese Hunter or to be. They're certainly not going to be asked to run the offense. But if they can be reliable third, fourth options, I think that on the on the margins that can be impactful, and that's where you know Iowa State is you know going to matter to them. I think. Um, we're going to wrap up this discussion about men's basketball and have a larger discussion about the state of college athletics because that's what you do in the summer, especially when you see administrators uh, talking about some big picture issues and you saw an interesting move out of Duke today and their men's basketball program. So we'll talk. Uh, we'll take a state of college athletics discussion here with Tommy Birch when we return on the Cyclone Insider Radio Hour from the Des Moines Register on 106.3 FM and 1460 KXNO. Everything you need to know about Iowa State, it's Cyclone Insider with the Des Moines Register on 1460 KXNO. Welcome back to the Cyclone Insider Radio Hour from the Des Moines Register here on 106.3 FM and 1460 KXNO. I'm joined this week by Tommy Birch, who's filling in for Randy Peterson. If you missed the first segment of the show, we did a bit of a deep dive on A.J. Green, the NBA, and what it means for Iowa State. Be sure to check that out. Wherever it is you get your podcast, if you miss it, it was a thrilling discussion, even if Tommy did not add much of value to it. I I think it was the best first hour you guys have had on the show since I co-hosted He was at least here, present for it. But we're going to switch gears here. I think there's an interesting bubbling of information coming from some decision makers at the NCAA or within the NCAA about where college athletics are going and certainly name image and likeness is part of this but I do think it extends probably more likely to the SEC's rating of the Big 12 the college football playoffs being kind of stuck in the mud in terms of expansion and certainly I think the the biggest part here is the Alston decision by the Supreme Court which basically invited further antitrust lawsuits um against the NCAA and that we've heard, you know, Jack Swarbrick at the M- at Notre Dame talking about, you know, is does do the top programs break away and form their own? Uh, Gene Smith at Ohio State, former Iowa State uh, AD, it was always an Iowa tie. Talked, yeah, I think Swarbrick and Jamie Pollard are really close too. Hmm. Um, 
talked about, you know, do the power five or the power six or whoever you want to look at it need to start their own thing. We saw Jamie Pollard tweet a statement after uh, a race in which his son was essentially disqualified or was not able to rerun after a collision um, at the NCAA preliminaries calling for a radical change at the NCAA because he was quite dissatisfied with the process that led uh, to the NCAA's decision about not letting Thomas Pollard rerun that race and try to get a spot in the NCAA championships this week. Um, and I How think, much do you take of that as Jamie Pollard the AD or Jamie Pollard the dad? I'm not going to try to to separate those two. He said what he said. I'm going to take it yeah. at face value, I think. And it's interesting to hear people publicly talk about this kind of stuff. I mean, even the SEC, we heard about them. There's all these leaks or would seem coordinated about them having their own playoff independent of the college football playoff. That when you take all these things where there's on the record, there's on background discussions about these things, that's usually an indication of which way the wind is blowing. And I wonder how stiff is that wind right now and how sustainable is this storm that does it actually lead to radical change within the NCAA? Does it lead to a new organization with new rules or is it a new organization that can rebrand itself away from the NCAA and presumably uh, the Supreme Court's attention or is this all just bluster and will blow over eventually? I don't know. I mean, I feel like the change at this point with NIL with the Alston decision is probably irrevocable, but there's a lot of money at stake. There's a lot of entrenched interests and institutions here that make change very, very difficult, if not impossible. So I don't know. I mean, what what's your feeling on this discussion being elevated to not only a louder volume, but coming from people who historically would <clears throat> advocate for the status quo? Yeah, I mean, isn't this something we've kind of assumed for a long time before NIL even was brought to the table? I don't table? think we've assumed it. We've said, could this be a direction they would go? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I guess I've kind of assumed that this day was going to come at least when the television rights deals all come to an end. When's that? 24? 24, 25. 24, 25. I mean, that's going to dictate a, a lot of it too, but I mean. Well, and then how much of this is just bluster for those negotiations too? Potentially. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of uh, possibilities here. Yeah. But I mean, it's like I said, I think it's something that's been talked about for a long time, even before NIL and probably something then one shape, one way, shape or form is going to happen to a, to a certain level. It's definitely got to be a scary time if you're an Iowa State fan, right? Anytime you were talking about conference realignment or potentially just blowing up the NCAA, you always wonder where Iowa State's seat at the table is going to be. Right now, Iowa State's got a good seat at the table, but you know when all that happens, you know you're risking diminishing that seat in a major way. Yeah, or does the seat just disappear? Is it eliminated because of whatever? We're getting dangerously close to that already with the changes that have already happened in the Big 12. Yeah, I mean, right I now. think the Big 12 and Iowa State positioned themselves about as well as they could have with Texas and Oklahoma leaving. Like, obviously, you don't get better when you lose Texas and Oklahoma in a conference. I mean, we're seeing it right now. Texas has won like a trillion national championships already this year, except for the one they really want in football, where they're nowhere near it. But it's just 
to get the four schools that they did, I think, is a big credit to the Big 12. It's a credit to the athletic directors and to uh, Bob Bowlesby to really steady the ship because, you know, as we saw at the time and as we saw back in 2010, like when you get into a situation where it's a prisoner's dilemma, some really bad decisions for a, a conference can be made. And then really the Big 12 stuck together and positioned itself, I think, again, as well as it could have. But every time, to your point, every time there's a shuffle, there's a risk, right? And like, it's not Iowa State's not alone in that. I don't think we're picking on Iowa State. It's just, you know, what if there is a reshuffling? How many invitations are there? Like, I don't think it's going. I think if there is a breakaway type deal here, it's going to be something closer to what we saw over in Europe, where they tried to create that Super League outside of the the Premier League and the Championship. League, I'm, my European soccer knowledge is limited. I'm here, fascinated but, by it, but I think to me that's more likely than some major inclusive group that it just liberates or uh, liberalizes the the amateurism rules or lessens the regulation. I think that to me is probably less likely than just a wholesale like let's professionalize this because it already is. Yeah. And- what you were kind of saying too. Kiffin already said these are professionals. We've been playing professional football for a long time. Yeah. They have been, but yeah, but nobody says it out loud. You look at the big 12 too. Every time we have had some kind of conference realignment, it's weakened just a little bit more. It hasn't been drastically weakened where the big 12 is no longer a power five conference, but every change from Nebraska leaving to Texas and Oklahoma leaving has just weakened it a little bit more. Now you wonder, like, man, can the Big 12 survive in terms of viability with one more change? This change upcoming, they obviously survive. The difference between the SEC and I'm saying one more. It depends how radical it is, right? And, like, if we're talking about a breakaway from the NCAA, that probably doesn't include conferences as we know them right like are you going to get conference invitations to the ncaa 2.0 probably not right like i mean you're going to whoever is organizing that is going to take going to start with the best and most lucrative and biggest brands and work their way down that list and the question is how far do you go down the list and where is iowa state on that list you know where's kansas on that list where's mississippi state on that list where's arizona state where's utah i mean we don't know. Those are a lot of unknowns. You know, where does the federal government come in on this? Where does Title IX come in on this? Like, these are big, complicated questions to ask, and that's a big part of why so little ever gets done is because this stuff is complicated, and there is a incentive from the people making the decisions not to make decisions and to make it complicated and to be obfusc- to obfuscate. So we'll see, but. It feels like we are headed very close to a crossroads. I don't think we're there yet. I think there's there's still a couple different ways that this thing could go. But, man, it's moving very quickly away from college sports as we've known them for 50 years. Yeah, and I think your big worry, if you're an Iowa State fan, too, is you've you've got your basketball coach in place. You've got your football coach in place. At what point does a guy like Matt Campbell say, I'm just tired of dealing with this crap, too? You know, or I'm worried about where Iowa State is positioned at the table, too. I don't know, but we did hear Matt Campbell's name attached to uh, a lot of names this <laughs> yeah. last, or a lot of schools this last fall in a way that was different, I think, than 
previous iterations of the coaching carousel, yeah, which every, maybe has nothing to do with Matt Campbell, but uh, that's just the truth. Like his name, I mean, we had Jamie Pollard talking about California tax rates on the coaches show. Yeah. So like there was more to it this fall, at least from the outside looking in than we've seen before, it was before a different which is not of, indicative of anything else going forward, but that's what happened. It was certainly a different type of smoke when it came to Matt Campbell, where we had always talked about like, these are the spots that Matt Campbell fits. Suddenly we're talking about schools that we did not think would be those fits, but would be if you're talking about giant college football trend. Yeah. I mean, when you get Lincoln Riley leaving Mm -hmm. Oklahoma for USC, when you get Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame for LSU, like obviously there a lot of things that we didn't necessarily think were on the table potentially are. And I think one thing that we're seeing that is on the table has now just become on the table is kind of a restructuring of how staffs, which I think for both men's basketball and football, is afoot with a decision we saw out of Duke today that we're going to talk about when we return on the Cyclone Insider Radio Hour from the Des Moines Register on 106.3 FM and 1460 KXNO. Everything you need to know about Iowa State, it's Cyclone Insider with the Des Moines Register on 1460 KXNO. Welcome back to the Cyclone Insider Radio Hour from the Des Moines Register on 106.3 FM and 1460 KXNO. Tommy Birch, Travis Hines here talking the future of the NCAA. No small topic. Uh, If you missed any of the show, be sure to check out the podcast wherever it is. You get your podcast. We heard today from Duke and its new men's basketball coach, John Shire, about the hiring of Rachel Baker, a former Nike executive and NBA employee, to what the Blue Devils are calling a general manager position. This is the first official announcement I've seen of a GM being hired by a college program. I've heard a lot of really some of the smarter people in our industry that cover college basketball closely talk about the emergence of a need for this type of position with NIL, with players having more autonomy outside of you know, just their their scholarships and their universities. Um, Duke explicitly said in their news release about it that Baker's being hired to you know help these players build their brands, navigate NIL, on and on and on. And I'm interested to see, I think, if a place like Duke does this, like they're going to be on the front. You expect a move like this from Duke because they have the most money and they have the most invested in staying on the cutting edge and pushing the rules as far as they can. And, but I do think when Duke does something like this, that's going to spur Kentucky to do something like this, which is going to spur Louisville to do something like this, which is going to spur Indiana to do something like this, which is going to spur Kansas and on down the line that I would imagine within the next three to five years, 75% of Power 5 programs have a position related to this, You know, assuming there are no further rule changes. But... I mean, sport, that's all sports is, is copycat from when it comes to how you do business to actually how you run offenses and stuff like that. So why would the, you know, the biggest transition in college sports with NIL be any different? Yeah, I'm less interested, I think, in the actual GM position than I am in what that says about how how NIL is going to be used and how, like, are we going to see it become not a marketing position, which is kind of how Duke uh, portrayed it today and they're hiring somebody with marketing experience? Does it become more of a professional sports general manager where it's about roster management, about retaining, about recruiting, and the coaches become more like NBA coaches or NFL coaches where they're doing X's and O's and they're doing relationships with the guys on their roster and all the the other kind of stuff falls to a, a third party. I don't know. It's Recruiting has been such a 
you know, the cliche is it's the lifeblood of your program. Like, it's hard to cleave coaching from recruiting at the college level. But I do wonder if this is the the first move in at least separating them some. Yeah, I mean, based off of her background, I mean, it looks like it's all from that business side of trying to. Um, but it, recruiting is a going to be business now, right? It's going to be yeah, much I mean, more she's about. She's going to be involved in that whole yeah, process. It's going to be much but less think, about, hey, I'm I'm Coach K and I've got all these rings and more about, hi, I'm uh, the Duke GM and here are all the NIL things that we can set you up with. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's still going to be the coach. But that person in that role is going to be your next selling point in the whole process. It's like I said before, there are three things now college kids want to know when they're you know, possibly committing to a school. They want to know playing time. They want to know NIL. They want to know, can I get to the NBA or the NFL? And obviously, you know, name, image, and likeness is an important part of that, but you can't, br- you can't build your brand and make that money still without that playing time. Yeah, and I, I mean, I tweeted about this, and Randy and I have talked about it on the show, that there's a distortion here because the money is coming from third parties that is going to, that to me is maybe the most interesting part of this whole thing, that these players are going, and this was a topic in the NBA 20, 30 years ago when all of a sudden the shoe companies were paying more than the, the teams, that, you know, who do these players really work for? Do they work for Nike or do they work for the Bulls in Jordan's case that if they're not the ones writing the check do they cede a lot of control do they cede a lot of power to these players because yes they need the platform of playing in college basketball but if it's the car dealership down the street or the the nike executive or whoever that is you know bankrolling your lifestyle that's going to complicate your incentives it's going to complicate your relationships and I wonder, going back to our discussion in the last segment, does that distortion ever become enough to where the schools say, we're going to retake control of this thing and just pay the players ourselves so we can set the rules? Because as long as they're not the ones paying the players, even if it's somehow, you know, it, it's donation dollars that are getting refunneled that would have gone to the school and that are only going to players because they go to whatever university, that's still, they don't, they don't have their tentacles in that. They don't control the purse strings to where then they don't control a lot of the incentive structure. And I think that's going to grate on a lot of people. Enough to give up their multi-billion dollar business plan? Probably not, but I do wonder about it. Well, I mean, now you have to appease so many d- different people. You got to appease the player and the the boosters, so you still have that income rolling in on a consistent basis. The biggest thing that I think is going to absolutely drive coaches and administrators absolutely batty are going to be agents. Like all of a sudden, like you were dealing with parents calling about playing time. Now you're going to have a lawyer whose entire monetary future is set up in advocating for their clients and not really caring how it affects you. Like this is going to like, think of the people that we know in college athletics that who got into it, I think with pretty, clear-eyed intentions of this being amateur sports, even if that was probably not true. Now they're going to be dealing with guys like, not these specific people, but people in the mold of a Drew Rosenhaus, I mean, of a Dan the, Fagan, of, you know, on down the line, like Andy, yeah, I mean, it's just like, this is not going to go, those relationships are not going to go well. But maybe that's why you have this position, like general manager, to be like, okay, that's the person that 
handles the business side. They'll talk to me. You go through them. They talk to me. You know, it's like you don't have, even in pro sports, you don't have the, usually you don't have the agents talking to the coaches. You have the agents going through the front office, the general manager, the president. Maybe this sets that bar now. Maybe, but here's where it complicates. Like you were talking about, it ultimately will be with the coach when it comes to recruiting. A lot of these kids are going to have agents before they hit a college campus. So there is going to be interaction there. And I, unless it gets fully professionalized, I don't think <laughs> colleges are going to have the setup that you just talked about. They're not going to have the discipline and the order enough to fully you know, put a wall up there. I mean, like again, like college athletics, like in terms of, you know, these guys are still students. They're still going to class. Like it's a very porous environment in that a lot of things get in, a lot of things go out. And again, you you enter in a lot of these agents that are aggressive, to to use a word. <laughs> yeah, that is going to just absolutely great on a lot of the people making decisions and a lot of people operating college. I mean, that's sports. why we're seeing some coaches get out too. They just don't want to deal with that crap. I mean, I think they know they see what's Maybe, coming yeah. over the hill too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, think about like you had said, how difficult is it already knowing you've got mom and dad on your butt already. And about. you still probably will have mom and dad on your butt. Yeah, about now you have the agent and now you probably have the kid's social media manager too. Yeah, I mean, it's going There's to gonna be, be a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, it'll be interesting it'll to be see. Fun. <laughs> yeah, not if there's you're, so many more avenues for us to break news now. Yeah, and you're like, it's really going like the coaches are really going to have to earn their millions of dollars salary. They're probably oh, not no. going to earn a lot of sympathy, but they will continue to earn millions of dollars at least for the foreseeable future. Yeah, this has been the Cyclone Insider Radio Hour from the Des Moines Register here on 106.3 FM and 14.60 KXNO. I'm Travis Hines. He's Tommy Birch. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.